0: Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Shh! Do you hear him? (laughs) That laugh. Oh my god. I have to whisper, or it will hear me. I've walked into this stupid old house to get away from the rain. And this thing came after me. It's so quiet. But I know it's here. I can't hear it walk, but I can almost feel it moving from room to room. Gliding. Shit. Oh, God. I found this old tape, written in black art line. It says, The Creaking Door. The Dummy. Well, perhaps that's what's after me. Look. I feel safe for now. Anything to take my mind off this place. Here, take a listen.
1: I have flown. I have sailed. I have moved about this world of ours. And ever in search of the finest of its kind, we bring you the tops in spine chillers.
2: The Creaking Door.
1: The manufacturers of State Express 3 5's Filter King cigarettes take pleasure in presenting
2: The Creaking Door. Be careful, my friend over there. He thinks he's a ventriloquist dummy, but he isn't. Or at least I don't think he is. Perhaps we'd better find out before the curtain goes up. <laughs>
1: We promise you, it's the smoothest cigarette you can get. Move in world class. Get the taste of new smooth State Express 3.5s today.
3: Turpins, a fabulous ventriloquist. Oh, we'll just listen to that applause. Yes, but he's not the best we ever had, not by a long way. Yes, I've been manager here for over 20 years, you know. I've seen him come and go. <laughs> but the best ventriloquist, the greatest act I ever saw in my life, that was Bertini. He was an Italian, spoke broken English, but what an act. Find the way, I first met him. He came into my office on, uh, I think, uh, yes, it was Wednesday morning. Came bursting in here, he did, with the dummy on his arm. First, I thought he was joking. Then I realized he was deadly serious.
4: This man here, I refuse to share a dressing with him any longer. I insist that you arrange we have two dressing rooms. Oh, Who are you talking about? What man? This man here on my arm. He's no good. Can't even walk for himself. i got to carry him everywhere. This the one I can't stand anymore, the nonsense. What are you talking about? You don't mean that dummy, do you? Of course I mean the dummy. That's what he is. A dummy. Gino here, my partner in the act. I can't stand it any longer. The argument's... Every night you come into the dressing room, he fights with me. He, he argues with me. I want a separate dressing room. I refuse to dress in the same room
3: as these little peep squeezy. Now, listen, listen, now, listen, Bertini. <laughs> Look, you expect me to believe, now, listen, that's just a dummy. Look, he can't argue with you. He can't speak unless you speak for him. Now, listen, old boy. I think that's your, um, pitting me bottle a bit too hard, eh? Isn't that it? Oh, i go, go. Now I've got no complaints. I'm far from it. You're certainly bringing him in. But uh, well, I mean, that's just a dummy. He's made of wood and papier-mâché. Now, look, uh, Bettina, you just take things easy, eh? So, you think I'm drunk?
4: You think I'm mad? Huh? I tell you, this swine here, this dummy, you say, he makes my life a misery. Are you going to give me the other dressing room? Oh, of course. You can have another dressing room. You can have <laughs> ten if you want. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Now then, you know good Gino. Are you satisfied? So you won't answer. You also want the manager to think that I'm too much with the drink. You little troublemaker! One day, one day I will kill you. I tell you that for sure. Dummy or no dummy, one day I kill you.
3: Have you ever heard anything like that? You see, well, as you no doubt know, but just in case you don't, a ventriloquist has his dummy, usually with a carved wooden face and hinged jaw. The ventriloquist himself operates this jaw and the turning of the dummy's head and so on by controls in the back of the dummy. And as for the voice... Well, that's a ventriloquist himself, of course. He pitches his own voice a little higher. He speaks without moving his mouth or throat, and he throws his voice. He, he projects it so that it sounds as if it's coming from somewhere else and not from him. But it's him all the time. And that's what made me think that Bertini was hitting the bottle too hard. I mean, when it comes to imagining things like that, well, I ask you. Anyway, I uh, I gave him another dressing room for the doll, and the next day he was very much happier. Sorry seem to be much happier.
2: Ah,
4: good morning, senior manager. Benvenuta. How are you this morning? Me? Oh, I'm fine, Bertilio. And you? well, you look a lot happier today. Me? But of course I'm happy. Now at least I can get away from that doll. (laughs) Uh, You think I'm mad, eh? but I tell you, I'm not mad. Maybe one day I will be with that dog. He drives me crazy. Yeah? Well... But now everything fine. Now I put him in the dressing room and he stays there till the show. That's fine. Now I'm happy.
3: But his happiness didn't last for long. That night after the show, I went backstage to see if everything was all right... And I heard voices coming from Bertina's dressing room. Not the one where he kept his dummy. The second one I'd given him. But his own dressing room. Yes. Voices. Loud and angry voices. First, I thought he was fighting with one of the stagehands. Then I realized he was talking to himself. Pretending to talk with a dummy, Gino. You understand? But really talking to himself. So I stood outside the open dressing room door and... <laughs> and I listened. Well, I've never heard anything that in oof, oof, the whole of my life. Yeah. Who asked you to
4: come here, hey? Who asked you?
5: If you don't like me in here, why don't you throw me out, then? Don't...
4: Don't provoke me, you little monster. I will do that one of these days.
5: Talk <laughs> is cheap. You stick me in that other dressing room and you leave me there all day all night, You take me back in this dressing room with you. Otherwise, the show does not go on next time. You understand? Oh,
4: shut up, you twisted little monster. You make me sick. You think you can blackmail me like that? I'm not frightened of you. You hear
5: that? I'm not frightened of you. (laughs) you better take care of my friend Bertini. If anyone were to pass and hear this conversation, they would think you were crazy. (laughs) <laughs> shut up
4: Shut up That's enough from you I'm telling you for the last time, Gino If you don't shut up, I... I... I
1: kill you
3: Up till then, I've been sort of humoring Bertini That night, I was the act Well, there was no doubt about it. He was very good. and More than that, he was great. Then halfway through the act, I got a surprise. A girl walks on. Yeah, that's right. A girl. Well, I knew nothing about that girl. And, of course, as theatre manager, I was supposed to. But she comes trotting on and she starts in taking part in the act. Well, she was nothing to look at, this girl, I can tell you. But then I saw just how brilliant Bertini was. He starts making the dummy Gino flirt with the girl, you know, winking, peering at her over Bettina's shoulder, the whole works. And the wild Bettina's pretending to get more and more mad, or at least I thought he was pretending. Anyway, that night, the act went bigger than ever. And after the show, I sent for a Bettina to come and see me in my office. So he comes along with the dummy in his arm, and I could see at a glance that something was very wrong.
4: You want to see me? Yes, yes. Sit down, Bertini.
3: Thank you. Now, then. Uh, I caught your act tonight. Oh,
4: so that's it. You saw the girl, I suppose. Yes, that's right. I saw the girl. Now, listen. I'm not complaining. Well, uh, I am. I beg your pardon. Me, I'm a complaining. If that girl goes on tomorrow night, then I don't.
3: Now, wait a minute. Didn't you Bertini?
4: think that I would change the act? without I tell you about it?
3: You mean... You mean you didn't know? But how on earth. Him.
4: This little evil one, Gino. He did it. Gino? Now, hang on. Go on. Go on. Tell him. Tell him, you little follower of the black one. Tell him. Oh, I see. You see how clever this one is, Mr. Manager. When you are here, he refused to talk. He wants you to think I'm mad. Because. That is what he's trying to do. He's trying to drive me out of my mind. Well, I will tell you. I will tell you what happened. This hunchbacked watery legs, swine, he come to my dressing room last now, night.
3: Look, now, look, wait a minute. Now, how, how can he come to your dressing room? He can't walk. He comes to my dressing room.
4: To my dressing room. He walks inside. It's not the first time he's done such a thing. He tells me tonight, in the show tonight, this woman must appear. I refuse. I tell him it's impossible. Never. I work only with a doll. No assistants and no women.
5: And she goes on, Betty. She goes on. Otherwise, I don't.
4: What do you mean you don't? What you talk? Of course you'll go on. That at least I can make sure of. I carry you on myself. So I know that you will go on.
5: Yes, you carry me. But you wouldn't like it if I walked off, would you? Walked off in front of all these people. You wouldn't like that. And I will do it. Unless Maria comes on stage in the act tonight. You're laughing. You wouldn't dare. Yes, I would. I would do it. I would get off your knee and walk on these horrible little legs made of old clothes stuffed with newspaper. I will walk off. So you see, Bertie, my friend,
3: You'd better do as I say. Uh, Now, uh, now wait a minute. Now, hang on, Bertie. Are you trying to tell me that doll, that dummy, could have walked off the stage? (laughs) Yes, I know. You think I'm going crazy, but I tell you, it happened before.
4: It happened in Milano before. He threatened to walk off. And he did. That's why I never worked in Italy anymore these days. Now,
3: look here, Bertie. Look, you're a nice guy, and I hate to see you getting into this state. Now, what you're saying is quite impossible, you know. You don't believe me. You say I'm lying. No, no. No, not at all. I believe that you think you're telling the truth. Well, what you've been saying is quite impossible. I mean, look at that dummy. Look at it. I mean, it isn't alive. It can't talk to you unless you do the talking, and it can't walk. What you say is impossible. Of course.
4: That is what I should have known you would say. You think I work too hard and maybe drink too hard, and I imagine things. this is all your fault. You twisted a command. Why, are you no speak to the manager? Why, are you no tell him I speak a eh? Stop you stupid man.
3: <laughs>
1: We promise you, it's the smoothest cigarette you can get. Move in world class. Get the taste of new smooth State Express 3.5s today.
2: Is it? I mean, would you stand for a dummy speaking to you like that? No wonder poor old Bertie thinks he's losing his marbles. Perhaps he's right. After all, we know that it's impossible for a ventriloquist dummy to speak on its own, don't we? <laughs>
3: Well, I want to tell you that for a moment, when that dummy spoke, I thought that in some horrible, incredible way Bertie was telling the truth, because I swear that although by this time Bertie was on his feet, the dummy was still sprawled in the chair where Bertini had put him. They were a couple of yards apart. Bertie never touched it, that I'm sure of. But when the dummy spoke, I swear by everything that's holy that I saw the dummy's jaw move. Bertie picked up the dummy and he stormed out of the office. But not before I noticed that there were tears in his eyes. Yeah, tears. And not the Latin tears of rage that one might have expected. He was crying. The silent sort of lust tears of complete hopelessness. Oh, I felt bad, I can tell you. I didn't know what to think. It was impossible that somehow Gino, the dummy could have a mind of its own. It was, it was impossible that the dummy could walk and talk. It was impossible. But it seemed to be true. So the next night, I watched the act again. And again, the girl was in it. And again, it went like a bomb. I went round backstage after the show, and I knocked on Bertie's dressing room. I knocked. And Gino answered. Come in. Ah. Come in,
5: Mr. Manager. Now, listen,
3: Bertie. Here.
5: What's this?
4: What goes on? Close the door. Bertie won't be long.
3: Yeah, where... Where is Bertie? (laughs) Bertie!
5: Bertie, Bertie, where
4: are you? It's you, Mr. Manager. I won't be long. I'm washing my hands. Wait a moment, please. Yes. There is just something I can do for him, maybe. Now, Bertini,
3: you were in there? Oh, oh I see. I thought it was going around the bend. He spoke to you. Gina spoke to you. <laughs> now, perhaps you'll believe me. <laughs> believe you? Now, Bertie, look, look, don't try and get me believing the impossible... Any good ventriloquist like yourself to throw his voice in the washroom to me here, that, that doesn't mean a thing.
2: But,
4: but don't you see? What? Uh, he's so cunning, this one. You'll see what he does.
5: <laughs>
4: You'll see. He talks to you when he knows that you will think it is me doing the talking. You... You little... I would kill you. Okay. Ah.
3: Ah. Now, wait a second. I hate you again, you monster.
2: Ah.
3: Now, please stop that. You're making me think I'm going mad. It was brilliant ventriloquist work. You know, he was hitting the dummy and making the cry of pain himself, of course. But it made me feel sick somehow. At least, that's what I thought was happening at the time. But today, I don't know anymore. The show that night was the last one that Bertini ever did. And it was nothing short of brilliant. I watched from the wings, and once or twice I could have sworn that Bertie and Gino spoke at the same time. It was impossible, of course. But once or twice. Anyway, they had a real sexual on the stage over this girl. Oh, it brought their house down. Once again, after the show, I went round to his dressing room. This time, the door was open. And before I went inside, I stood for a while listening. In a way, I wish I hadn't. But I stood there and listened.
5: You heard what I said. I quit. I'm a finished to the act. I'm through.
4: That's all right with me. Monster, go. See if you can get somebody else to put up with your nonsense like I do.
5: You don't think I'll have any difficulty getting another job, do you? It's you that's going to have trouble ventriloquist up do a minute. But where are you going to find another dummy like me? A dummy that does all the work for you? You going to be sorry, Bertie?
4: I can't go on like this. You're driving me mad. That's what you're doing. You're driving me mad. Why can't you be like the other dolls? Why can't you?
5: I can't help the way I am. None of us can help that.
4: Anyway, enough is enough. There is only one boss in the act. That boss is me.
5: <laughs>
4: you hurt me. I am the boss. Either you do as I say or the act is finished. I don't care, Gino. I'm warning you, I don't care. I've made enough money. I'll retire.
5: And what will you do with me?
4: You. I'll uh, lock you up inside your suitcase. I'll leave you in the cloakroom at the station. That's what I do. You
5: you wouldn't dare.
4: Oh, yes. Yes, I would. <laughs> You're frightened now, aren't you? That's good. For too many years, I've been the one who has been frightened. Now it's your turn. <laughs>
5: you are frightened. So you would lock me in a suitcase and put me in the station well, listen to me, Percy. That wouldn't do you any good, you see. Sooner Adetie, even in five years' time, someone would open that gate, and I would still be there. You can't starve me to death or suffocate me, you know. Even after ten years, I would still be there. And once they opened that case again, I would find you. I would find you. You couldn't. You're a dummy, a doll. Yes, that's what we want people to think, isn't it? But you are a doll.
4: I made you myself. I carved your face and I stuffed your legs and arms with newspaper. I know it's impossible. What you are saying is impossible.
5: <laughs>
4: you are a
5: doll,
4: a dummy. I'm a not a frightened of a dummy. <laughs>
5: Then if you're not frightened, why are you
4: shouting like that? I refuse to talk with you any longer. Shut up. The matter is closed. I've made up my mind.
5: (laughs) Shut up. Shut up. Shut up.
3: up. Right. I've heard enough. I wanted to walk away and leave him to something. Come to me to push the door open and walk in. The Dummy was propped to the chair in front of the dressing room mirror, and by some chance, the way he'd been put there, it looked as if he was leaning on his elbows. Bettina was triding up and down the room like a man possessed. I could not know what I was going to say to him. I suppose in the back of my mind, somewhere was the thought that I'd better start to calm him down. I stood just inside the doorway, my glance going from Bettina to the dummy. Bettina never noticed me. But to this day, I swear that that dummy looked me straight in the eye through that dressing room mirror and laughed. That's right. Go on. Laugh. Make the
5: most of your laugh. Because my friend, I tell you, this is the last time you laugh. <laughs> I made you myself. I know what you are. You are a nothing sort of. Strike.
4: That's what you are. I made you myself. And because I made you, I've got the right to finish you. I'm going to finish you, you hear me? I'm going to finish you. <laughs>
3: Until he took three strides and knocked the dummy sprawling from the chair. I watched horror-stricken as Burton lifted his leg and with the heel of his right boot pounded again and again into that dummy's wooden face you
4: gets on to believe me, monster. You're getting to believe me.
3: No, maybe
4: you'll believe me when it's too late. I kill you. I kill
5: you. I kill you.
4: Bettini as a you Bettini gave you
5: life. And Bettini takes it away.
3: Oh, oh, come on, Bertie. Oh, come on, old man.
1: Look, you I think you've done the right thing.
3: It was only a dummy. But come <laughs> along with me. Come on. You need a rest. to put him away, of course. As a matter of fact, he's still there. Yes, he's still in the sanatorium. I went to see him about five years back, but never again. I shall remember that till my dying day. I went inside that little private room, and he was propped up in bed. He lay there quite motionless, his eyes staring fixedly at the ceiling. When I spoke to him, it took a second for him to answer. And then, only his bottom jaw moved as he said,
5: It was good of you to come and see me, senior manager. But don't worry about me. I'm fine.
2: he doesn't know if he's Arthur or Martha and we have a problem too. we're not quite sure who this dummy is that we have here behind the creaking door <laughs>
1: I promise you, it's the smoothest cigarette you can get. Move in world-class. Get the taste of new, smooth State Express three fives today.
2: This is your host back again. Just a reminder of our rendezvous next week. Where are we going? Through the creaking door? Of course.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The manufacturers of State Express 3-5 King cigarettes invite you to listen next Saturday at 9 o'clock when they will again present...
0: So, that's what this thing is. Some kind of crazy possessed dummy? Shit. I knew I shouldn't have walked into some house in Wardenclyffe. I'm not even from New York. I should have known better. Okay, okay, I'm going to book it out of here. Wish me luck. Shit! Now! Come on, come on. Not the first time I've encountered creatures like this. At least this time, it didn't lock me in for keeps. Oh god, I'm out. This is Tristan, signing off. Fuck. Well, I hope you enjoyed The Dummy by the Creaking Door OTR. And especially the intro and outro. Today I thought I'd do something fun for you folks. And start the journey of Tristan Everflare. Just a short little bit and an easter egg for the sharp-minded. When Tristan said Wardenclyffe, New York, what do you think he's referring to? I'd love to hear your guesses and proudly pronounce you the winner, if you can guess what I was referring to. Let me know your thoughts, mates. Now, this particular Creaking Door episode was actually pretty creepy. It has this certain Tales from the Crypt vibe going on. Even the ending, the ventriloquist ending up being completely possessed by the dummy. Now, usually I'm sitting here thinking, hmm, the dummy being alive is definitely all in his head. But when the others witness this madness and his state of mind at the end. I mean, it's so hard to determine what's going on. Fact from fiction. Do you think he's gone insane? Do you think the dummy is alive? I'm gonna say that the dummy was possessing him. So yeah, I think it was alive. I'm gonna share with you a real old school bit of trivia about me. When I was a kid, I watched a show called Ghostwriter, made in 1995. And there was this episode called Attack of the Slime Monster. I'm not sure if any of you out there would know this one, but here it goes. It's basically this creature that was made of gum, and if it touches you, you'd be consumed by bubblegum and melted down. Simple premise, but terrifying to a kid. And they had this prop dummy that would appear randomly around the set that would just basically remain static and voiced over. I have no idea why. But me and my friends were terrified by this creature. Dummies in general can be so freaky. There is something innately creepy about something inanimate, given the facade of life through voice. And dummies in general, to some people, are terrifying due to this glaring contradiction. Something primal in us about a voice coming out of what looks... already dead, perhaps. Thankfully, I'm fully over the now hilarious kids horror show. But if you want to check it out, see what I mean... I'll include the link to the episode in the show notes. This is uh, an old, old show, so bear with it. (laughs) Now my second favorite part of this podcast, the chance to thank the lovely people who support this show directly via Patreon. I can't wait to share your stories. And today, I've gone for a more gothic narrative regarding your tales, mates. First up, Maya, Hella, owner of Familda Bar. In a bar deep in the heart of Los Angeles, is a woman unlike any other, sleek, stunning, and such sharp wit that she could carve her initials out on a countertop with how quick her retorts are. Hella, owner of Familda Bar, is very different. You see, she runs her bar with tenacious skill, pouring her patron drinks, listening to their woes, but never their complaints, and every now and then she finds a punk. A nobody insisting there is somebody. And when no one's listening, well. They yell that out to everybody. Now Hella has a dark secret that she'll never share, lest the authorities catch her for her wicked ways, but she has a way of removing trouble, providing that trouble is a sort of trouble that won't be missed. She has an eye for that kind of trouble. All it takes is a couple of smart comments, a witty verbal transaction to persuade the delinquent to join her behind the counter into her home and into her domain. They are to become her victims. Hella has a passion for taxidermy and a love for cats. Every cat she loved, cared for, and cherished remains in her living room, poised and prepared. Almost like they were alive rather than dead. And at the dead of night she sings, oh how she sings. And it is in that singing her chorus breathes life into her lost loves. And for one night in a blue moon her cats live again and feast on the victim on hand. The nobody that insists they were somebody to everybody hella revered by the populace ignored by the authorities and beloved by her cats solstra nico of onyx nico born as hunter clarita a service woman to the multitude of mechanical mascots that would break on odd occasions she was passionate intelligent and extremely dexterous with her hands Pulling parts off old mascots, replacing them, and even improving them at times. There wasn't a mechanical mascot that she hadn't fixed, repaired, or saved from salvage in the many theme parks she worked at. It wasn't until children began going missing that Nico started to become worried about where she worked. Worried for herself, for her friends that worked at the theme parks, and hell, even the mechanical mascots themselves. They found that at 9am and 3pm, children were going missing. With their bodies and clothes torn, shredded in some cases in a sort of grid-like fashion, cloth mixed in with chunks of torn belly fat and dismembered limbs. The bodies always appeared at 3am. Always. And she decided enough was enough. She couldn't have her people feeling unsafe where she worked and losing Clara too. (sighs) Well, it had to stop here. Late at night, she visited Cruncho's mansion to deliver a message. Because she knew who killed those children, and what they were doing had to stop. Kicking in the door, Nico burst in like a fireball made of rage, pointing into the dark. The buzz of bulbs and the whirring of fans kicked up. Seven sets of bright orange eyes flickered on. For you see, these were the newly repaired mascots by Nico. Intended to push past the limits provided by the manufacturer, to move freer, perform smoother, and operate cleaner. She of course though, wasn't a programmer and the parts she sourced were superior, but undoubtedly questionable. They knew her intent, and they'd guessed why she was there. Nico pulled out an onyx wrench. The gears began to grind, and she decided it was time to get to work. Mates, I hope you both loved your stories. I wanted to keep the dummy theme with the inanimate motif going, and instill some high strangeness into your stories. Oh, and there are easter eggs in the locations in which both your characters reside. Can you guess why they are located where they are? Let me know if you figure it out. Now, for my next set of amazing people, my white tea warlords. I own cows, Horn, Hoof, Bob. Mr. Cows is a talented man, crafting kids toys for his town for decades. Like all great craftsmen and tinkerers, he has a little secret that no one seems to know. Not a technique, not a how-to-do-X-Y-Z, but an actual secret. Unbeknownst to Mr. Cowes, early on in his days in the town, he was crafting away making mannequins, trucks, child's rocking chairs, when one of his chairs began to wiggle. Yes, you heard me. Wiggle. Not a creepy creak or an ominous overture. It wiggled. And in this wiggle, he thought he might be going mad. Mad from the hard work he's been putting in, and the hours laboring behind his work desk. But in this wiggle came another, and a waddle from a wooden penguin, and a wobble from a wooden wheel. His toys were moving, coming to life so it seems, and only in the dead of night. Mr. Cowes had been unknowingly crafting his creations out of moonsheen cow bones, known for their bones and hide to move and come to life on their own, under particular conditions. A sort of bone memory that would bring these toys back to life as a result, pulling them to where they once lived. Now one month in the town of Titar, in the dead of a bright moonlight night, the toys of the town come to life and graze on the hills nearby, returning to little Titar as the sun begins to dawn. And Mr. Cowles watches intently as the small wooden army returns to his town. Lee Bauer, wooden Whisperer As a detective, Lee Bauer's keen insights into the human mind and verbal prowess in retrieving answers from a criminal's vice-like mind that are second to none. Lee employs a skill, though, that absolutely no one else but him possesses. Lee can talk to inanimate objects. To Lee, a chair is not just a chair. It has a spirit. It has lived, and continues to do so. And most of all, the spirits listen. Each crime Lee has used his ability to the fullest, resting on a wall, sitting on a park bench, and shaking the hands of a stranger, all providing Lee unique information and understandings of crimes in detail that he should never know. Shaking the police chief's hands, for example, he can tell he forgot his keys that day and had to take a taxi. Touching the chair and shirt of his suspect when walking into the interrogation room lets him know whether they are the killer or just merely an informant. Woden Whisperer, a power like no other, making Lee one unique detective indeed. Mates, I hope you both loved your stories. I wanted to flip the idea of inanimate objects being scary to being useful and interesting. Thank you both for your support, mates. You're just fantastic. And of course, my Earl Grain Forces Chad Warren, Just Heather, Lorraine Cresanto, Paige Marchini, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Divided by Zero, Tristan Cassidy, and Dolphin Nkow. Thank all of you for putting the pep in my step and supercharging this podcast with your support. If you think you can spare some dollar dues my way, hop on over to my Patreon, which is www.patreon.com forward slash SFGT. Also, if you have any questions, feel free to email me at tales at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening. Mates, this Wednesday, I'm going to do a listener story which I always love doing. And I promise you, it'll be a keeper. So stick with me then, mates, because it's going to get messy. All right, you lovelies. As always, stay safe. Until next we meet.